you could see, you know, the body was beginning to, you know, her ability to walk was beginning to, you know, it, it was disappearing. Her, her, her ability to communicate was getting less and less. To try and speak was was a real effort for her. It was it was the beginning of the end. Ultimately, that year and a half before where she was fighting, you know, there were real high moments and real good moments. That period was, you know, was probably when I think when when this conversation happened, and it was, I didn't know what to say to her. I just cried. I just sat there and cried, and I just, you know, like a baby. I just I just cried like a baby. I couldn't control how I was because you know. I wasn't, I wasn't strong. You know, I wasn't strong. I may have put this persona that I was strong, but I wasn't, I was, I was crumbling. I was falling apart inside because I just, I couldn't face this. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Year Podcast, where each episode we have a different guest come on and share a unique story from their personal situation and guide us through what happened, how they navigated it, what they went through, how they handled it, what support they have there, and how they just navigated that space. Because a lot of us can look at another individual in whatever capacity they are in and just think, wow. How do they just keep going? How do they just keep collecting all these wins without a single loss? And the reality is, is the fact that we all copy losses every left, right and centre, but it's how we deal with them, how we react to them that makes us who we are and puts us in the position we're in. I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where people are willing to share and divulge personal insight into their lives that many people may not be privileged to. And just to sort of show you that, Life will come at you regardless of who you are, where you are, what size, what stature you are. And it's not, it's not personal. It's just how things are. Sometimes life has to teach you things that other people can't teach you with by just talking to you. Yeah, I'm just honored to have this individual who, yeah, we bumped into each other a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago. And it seems that our paths are technically crossed from many a years ago. But the work he does, I'm not going to rob him of the opportunity to give himself an introduction and whatnot, but the work he does is inspiring. It's much needed. And I love that it seems to be coming from a place of personal experience, how it's something, and I'm guilty of it, I wasn't fully aware of what parents go through prior to becoming a parent. I thought I had empathy with them. I thought I understood what they're going through. But it's not until you find yourself in that position how you it's sort of gone from for a three dimension to a fourth dimension. You think, wow, <laughs> this is a lot and it's constant, but you're helping to alleviate that pressure to offer support and guidance to employers who need to be more mindful of the employees they have and understand the struggles, the challenges, the support that should be offered in order to help them be 
the best employer they can be and help the employees be the best employees they can be for the employers. If I think I summarize that quite well, if I do say so myself. But yes, I have the fantastic Amit and I am doing something that I, I've been doing for a few episodes now, which is I'm very mindful that some of my listeners are visually impaired, so I may not be able to see the artwork to see what we look like. So I like to give a little description about what we look like. So for instance, people hopefully should know by now, I am a black guy. I am a very handsome black guy. If you can't see that, then you can't argue with me. <laughs> nothing else for you to say. I've actually got hair. Some of it is thinning, but I'll have to deal with that. That's, that's a me thing got dimples love smiling and yeah that's pretty much how it is i have amit if you don't mind please for the next couple minutes please tell us a little bit about yourself what you do describe yourself if possible what you feel comfortable with and yeah just divulge what you feel comfortable before we go into your situation sure thank you firstly thanks for having me on really really appreciate it describe myself okay so i am a a, an asian sikh brown person i wear a turban yeah six foot tall pretty 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 standard i guess in terms of in terms of what i do so yeah so i i co-founded a company with my wife called for working parents and i guess the the purpose of that company really is to provide an opportunity for employers to be more inclusive for their parents and to support parental inclusivity and also parental well-being and really what we try and do is we we try and allow parents to thrive both at work and at home so we you know we we equip parents with the tools they need to thrive at home through knowledge based webinars and information about what children are going through in this digital age that we live in and we also provide services to employers around sort of you know coaching leadership kind of workshops and storytelling i do a lot of storytelling which is ultimately what i'm probably going to do a lot of on this podcast which is sharing my own story having lost a parent and then becoming a parent in quite challenging circumstances. And really the idea of storytelling is, of course, to create empathy in the workplace. Because if you work in an organization where you sit next to somebody for eight hours a day but know very little about them, you're probably not going to go out of your way to, to, to work hard for them. But if you know about their struggles, if you know about their issues at home, you might be willing to cover for them a bit more if they've got a shoot-off at 3 o'clock you know, a couple of times a week rather than thinking they're, they're lazy buggers. And so, yeah, it's really about creating that empathetic workplace to support parents and also you know finally i think in the 21st century we're able to celebrate the word vulnerability and not see vulnerability as a as a sign of weakness anymore and i think you know covid has really changed our outlook on and and, and our thought process behind work pre-covid work came first that was it we had to work whatever work said we would drop everything post-covid our children and our families i think for many of us come first and work ultimately has to operate around that and for many people if work isn't willing to do that well we'll find a job at an organization that is willing to do that and that's what i think we're seeing that change of organizations becoming more inclusive around parents and they're the ones that i think in the future are ultimately going to to really thrive and i think that's absolutely fantastic it's true out of the many negative things that came from covid i think that was a great opportunity for people to kind of pump the brakes and realize hang on what is more important to me at this moment in time, if everyone's sort of dropping like flies, what's important to me? Is it the fact my employer says you've got to come into office? For what? For who? Yeah. And leave my family with what? And now people looking go, no, my family means something to me. And and rightly so, I'd like to believe. If your company that you're employed by is not ticking all your boxes, you're gonna to have to go find someone that does tick your boxes. Because let's be honest, if there's a promotion going and you're not ticking all the boxes, they're not offering it to you. So it's not personal, it's business. 
you have a business you need to work for so you can earn the money you need to earn. And if that company is providing everything you need, then you can stay with them until such time you find a better opportunity and keep it moving. It's not malicious. It's just what needs to be done. And I think we need to celebrate the fact that we had this opportunity. There's many people, unfortunately, didn't survive COVID, but we did. And those that did have learned a valuable lesson in the sense of, yeah, there's a different way that can, these things can be done. And I applaud the fact that you are able to facilitate people in that space. And I think it is very much needed. So thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing and all that you will go on and do. I just love it. So thank you very much. Your first L that you said you want to talk about, which is mother and daughter which is very open-ended for anybody. But I'm hazard a guess. I kind of know what it is because you mentioned it before where you lost your mother. I don't know the ins and outs of it. And I know you became a parent as well. So please go back to where you feel it's the story will start, where it's relevant. And then, yeah, take it from there, please. Yeah, sure. Um, Gosh, I guess it starts from when my mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And that was back in... January, February of 2016 is when we found out. I mean, she was she was unwell before that. She'd always she'd always had issues around her, you know, her female anatomy. I guess she wasn't able to conceive after me, so I'm an only child. Um, so there were always issues that she had, but for whatever reason, you know, they weren't picked up or they weren't dealt with accordingly. You know, in an ideal world, they should have removed her ovaries a long time ago, and perhaps you know she would have still been here today. But that didn't happen. And then she started getting symptoms that only now, only when she got diagnosed, we realized what those symptoms were because you don't, you don't go out looking for some of these symptoms around certain cancers until awareness is either raised by, you know, well-meaning celebrities who, who sadly get diagnosed with, with issues or when it happens to you, it affects you, it affects your immediate circle. And, and that was the case. And she was eventually after lots of testing and lots of kind of back and forth with hospitals, she was eventually diagnosed with ovarian cancer in, yeah, around January, February of 2016. It was stage three when she was diagnosed, which is never good news. There are there are women that will survive if they have stage three ovarian cancer and will live, you know, very long, happy lives. But sadly, in her case, you know, it, it, it wasn't that. And it was a it was a two year journey and a two year battle and a two year fight that she, you know, that she put up before she eventually sadly died on the 5th of January 2018 which happened to be four days before my 30th birthday. So it was, it was at six months before my, before my wedding. So that whole period, you know, I, 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 I went through a period where I think I, I was feeling the loss before I actually experienced the loss. You know, the day that she died, you know, from my point of view, wasn't actually the day that she died. It was just the day that she physically wasn't here anymore. She actually sadly died in, in my mind a long time before that, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the case for the whole two years. You know, she fought bravely, lots and lots of chemotherapy, major, major debulking surgery to remove whatever they could. And, you know, she she put on a she put on a good fight, had all the side effects you would expect with chemotherapy. You know, the, the body change, the hair loss, the the sickness, the fainting, all of those kinds of things that were all new to us as a as her family. I say us, it was just me and my dad, you know, it was new to us. Obviously, we had a great support network and lots of close family that were in and out all the time. Um, but in terms of those of us, the two, the three of us that were living it was obviously my mum, my dad, and, and and me. And you know, I think in terms of the loss, it was watching her slowly fade to this to this disease, 
but also watching her bravely fight with every you know ounce of fiber that she that she had she wanted to she wanted to live she wanted to see me happy she wanted to see my wedding she wanted to see my children you know she would have been an unbelievable grandmother so that's yeah that's and obviously i'm happy to talk about whatever might come in terms of what you want to ask me about that that was the first kind of part and then the second part was you know in that sadness we found some happiness when my daughter was born she was born in may of 2020 so we're in the middle of this brand new world that we're living in we're in complete lockdown the country is at a standstill she was born prematurely so she was born a month early so technically premature but she didn't need any kind of you know medical support and then we discovered eight weeks after her birth when she went for her routine vaccinations immunization excuse me that she had a defect with her heart and again we can talk more about that but the, the testing and testing went on and on and on until she was finally diagnosed with having three holes in her heart and so having to deal with all of that she was under great ormond street's care having to deal with all of that in the build-up to her having open heart surgery in the middle of the second lockdown so in february of 2021 when we were again completely locked down was incredibly incredibly challenging and difficult for us as first time parents you know when you're supposed to be the happiest that you that you ever are so those are the two massive points in my life where i have you know gone through a feeling of loss i mean my daughter thank god is you know three and a half years old healthy fit and all of that so there's not a loss there but you know going through that process was incredibly incredibly challenging i'm not gonna lie i was welling up when you was talking about mum. i think it's just something about I think I just felt it just hearing the love you have for this incredible woman and how it sounds like obviously there's clearly things there that could have been done, should have been done, didn't get done. And we, we, we are where we are. And it's horrible to be so blase with saying words like that when in fact it should be, I should be able to hug this person. And I feel for you and I'm sorry. If we look at the first situation in isolation, in terms of your mum, you being an only child, I, I was raised as an only child, even though I do have half brothers and sisters and whatnot. I had a longing of where I wanted to have siblings. I wanted to have other people to play with because, you know, the age group I grew at, I, it was like, we had two controllers for the same for the same console and you could play it. Not like nowadays where you've got PlayStation 5s and you have to get a subscription and buy a separate console just to play with someone. I was, and this is embarrassing to admit, I would have one controller in my hands and have another controller with my feet just to play a two-player game because I could always have friends come around and stuff like that. Did you ever feel lonely because you wasn't a, because you was the only child or was you okay because you had cousins or other relatives that could come around or friends even, which I clearly didn't have? <laughs> um, yeah, I think there probably were periods of loneliness. I think when you're young, you're always asking questions. So you don't quite understand, you know, why... Other family members had, you know, two, three, multiple children, and, and my mum only had one. But I think the older I got, you know, into the teenage years, the more understanding you had that actually, you know, there were medical reasons why she couldn't conceive. I got I got sort of used to it. But, you know, we we were and, and are, you know, very close as an extended family. My dad is one of seven, so very close to my cousin, certainly on my dad's side, incredibly close. My mum's side a little bit more, you know, there were, the family dynamics there were a bit different, but still close to a couple of her siblings and, and, and their children. So I think growing up, you know, we spent, and, and because I was, I was, so my father was the first boy after four girls, which in, you know, 
old school sort of Indian Punjabi culture that was a big deal. And we, when I was growing up, we lived with grandparents. And so all of my cousins would all come over to ours, you know, in East London for the six week summer holiday. So I would spend all that time with them. And, and sometimes that used to be quite difficult because on the one hand, I had all this free time to myself and all my toys were mine and all my space was mine. And then suddenly I've got, you know, eight, nine, 10 other kids coming over and, you know, taking over my space. And, you know, I was always last to, to get into the bath and it was my mum that was bathing all of these, all of these kids, you know, they were all very close to her. They all, they all got on well with her and, you know, they all felt her loss, you know, just as much, I guess, bearing in mind that she's actually sort of the outsider. She's the daughter-in-law that's come into this family, but she's taken on her husband's siblings, you know, children for this, for this period of time. So I guess, yeah, I mean, there were periods of loneliness, sure. But the more I got to understand it, I, you know, I, I became very much used to it, you know, in my teenage years and into my adult life, it was, it, it's just the way it was. So I, I sort of, you know, found ways to just accept it. It, did you always have a good relationship with your parents growing up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Certainly, yeah, yeah, certainly with my mum, definitely. But yeah, my dad as well. You know, there was, there, yeah, growing up, it was, it was a, it was a typical kind of, you know, Asian immigrant household. You know, my, my, my grandparents came here in the 70s from, from Tanzania in East Africa. You know, same with my mum's parents. They were also immigrants from Tanzania in the 70s. And we grew up in the sort of, you know, early 90s. It, you know, working class family lived in a, you know, a standard terraced house in East Ham. And it was, it was nice. It was a loving household. You know, I had my grandparents there. I was very close to my grandparents. I was their first grandson, you know, born to their, to their first son. So it was quite a, it was quite a big deal for them. So I was, you know, incredibly spoiled by them. And yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a happy childhood for sure. That's, that's great to hear. So when it came up to the point where you're now in your late, 20s and this is now being revealed to you did it strengthen your relationship with your parents at that point do you think or just talk me through how you felt when when mum was diagnosed and everything because I, I i'm my head's spinning and, and i'm usually i'm a little bit more composed about this and i don't know why i'm taking it so personally but it is but this one for some reason is just striking a chord with me i don't know why have no idea but i'm just interested to know how you navigated that space how you responded to hearing those words when they were said to you yeah i mean there are some there are some parts of it where my memory is vague and i've you know sort of forgotten i appreciate that yeah there are some parts that are incredibly vivid and the one memory that i've got that's very vivid is you know hearing for the first time that she has got this you know she's gone through a lot of testing and I used to work, you know, I used to work as, a, as an educator. I was a, a deputy head teacher in, in a secondary school. At that time, I think I may have been head of sixth form. I think I was in a, in a, in a school. And I remember her, you know, uh, I think she called me on my way home from work in my car and just said that, you know, I've, I've, seen, the, I've seen the doctor. And I sort of asked her, you know, what's, what did they say? Because we knew that this cancer could be a potential. We knew she potentially had ovarian cancer. And she told me she'd speak to me at home. And as soon as she said that, I knew, you know, and I wasn't very far from home at that stage. I was sort of almost home, but I knew, I knew, and I started preparing myself in the, in the car. And I remember I just burst out into tears because it was, I didn't know how to, you know, I'd never experienced, I mean, my grandmother died of pancreatic cancer and, you know, she was, you know, we watched her go through that. I mean, she died eight weeks from diagnosis, but, and that was terrible. And, you know, but I think there's as close as I was to her, I think there's just something a bit different when it's your mum. Right. And my grandmother was in her 80s. It was one of those things where, 
she's lived a full life. It's it's sadly the you know the the, the circle of life, as they say in the Lion King, which you know we watch all the time now. It's and, and, and yeah, when I heard her tell me that she'd speak to me at home, I just sort of you know had my cry and then prepared myself. I you know got home, parked up, right, you know, going to be strong, going to go in, going to be strong. And I remember I walked in. I was living with my parents at the time, walked in um, and, you know, we're in the dining room and my dad and mom are standing on the opposite side of the dining table to me. And I just said, you know, what's, what is it? And she told me, she said, yeah, you know, I've got, um, I've got ovarian cancer. And as, as, as much as I told myself to be strong, I just, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't contain my emotions. I burst out into tears and she, and she came over and she hugged me and she said to me that she, she said, don't worry, I'm going to be here for you. You know, don't worry don't there's nothing to worry about i'm going to be here for you and you know that was that was testament to her character because it's not me that's suffering it's her that is faced this diagnosis it's her that's been told that she's having a you know been diagnosed with something that's going to threaten her life but she wanted to be strong you know for me and it was that moment just sort of really sticks out for me so so finding out was you know, it was awful. I didn't know too much about ovarian cancer. I'd done a bit of research when we sort of found out that she might have it, looked at some of the data and the stats and, you know, they're not good. The stats aren't good. The data isn't good. Five-year survival rates aren't good. I mean, I was thinking five years, you know, 10 years. I was thinking those are, and they're not good. And and my reaction, I mean, I never shared it with her, but my reaction from then was very much, it's over. It's done. There's nothing that's going to be done that's going to be able to save her. It's a, it's a question of when. That was very different to my dad's reaction. And again, for him, look, this is his this is his soulmate, right? This is his, this is his life partner. They've been married for 31 years or 30 years or whatever it was at the time. You know, he was very much, no matter what happens, he's going to do anything and everything possible. She's going to survive this. So he was the ultimate optimist. And I, in my own head was the ultimate pessimist. You know, for me, it was a case of this is, this is over. Obviously we'll do everything we can to, to try and save her, but um, it's, it's eventually going to, going to end in the worst way possible. hard very very hard and even you know no matter how many times i've talked about it and i do talk about this as part of my storytelling you know sessions it, it still when i when i go back to those memories you know they still it still brings that emotion you know sometimes i do cry sometimes i don't i guess i don't know whether you become numb to the pain or you become used to it i mean we're talking now almost six years ago that she that she died so yeah i mean it's 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 difficult to talk about it's difficult to talk about but it's what I do, you know, it's, it's, it's part of, it's part of the journey. It's part of the story. It's, it's, it's what people, it's what people go through. People have gone through a hell of a lot worse at a hell of a lot a younger age. Um, it's just my, it's just my story in the middle of everybody else's stories. It is exactly that, but take nothing away from the fact of what you go through. You are your own person. You're entitled to feel what you feel because it's your life. You know, we can have empathy. We can feel for other people. Like I said before, you know, oh, before you become a parent, I think I get what you're going through. You don't get what they're going through until you go through it. And then you're going through your version of that situation and you'll deal with it as you need to. You mentioned about your mum sort of being strong for you. As a parent now, hopefully you can appreciate the reason why she was being strong for you because you will always be her baby and she will do anything and everything for you. And that without a second thought was like, I'm not going to let him 
do this on his own. I'm there. And I, I, you, I, how can you not love mum for that? Mum was just that person. Hearing how you was in the car, I can only imagine because you. I guess you start already thinking about, we're going for tests. <laughs> Why are we going for so many tests? It. Let me take an educated guess. Things aren't going the way they should be for why you keep going for all these tests. So you could probably prepped yourself already for something, not hoping it's something like that. That's hard. But once it's happened, once you've been told, what was life for you after that? Because personally, I'm not functioning at 100% capacity at work. I'm not on firing all cylinders. My head is elsewhere. How did you deal with that? How did you navigate that space when it came to sharing it with your extended family who you were clearly so close with? Yeah, absolutely. I don't quite remember how we shared it with our family, if I'm honest with you. I'm sure if I asked them, they would remember the exact moment. I don't know how we shared it. I don't know whether my dad called his siblings and sort of let them all know that way and how she told her own family. I mean, she told her she told one of her sisters who she was very, very close to. She didn't tell her mum. So my grandmother, she she never told her mum. Her mum was, uh, and her mum only died last year. So her mum outlived her by by five years. And she she was, you know, a classic old Indian Sikh woman, you know, didn't speak any English and was just a, a, a serial warrior. So I think my mum wanted to protect her. My mum was the youngest, youngest of five. So I think to protect her, she didn't want to tell her. So she, you know, and they used to speak daily on the phone. I mean, my grandmother lived in Coventry, so not a million miles away. And obviously throughout that time, my mum didn't want to see her too much because the chemotherapy meant she'd lost her hair. You know, she did wear, she did have a wig, which she would, which she would put on. And my grandmother, bless her, you know, would, wouldn't notice. It would just be a change of hairstyle for my mum. And so, you know, she, she managed to sort of, yeah, conceal it from her right to the very end. Even when my mum was, you know, on her deathbed, you know, my grandmother didn't quite know. And that was a choice that my mum and her sister made, you know, rightly or wrongly, that's their choice. It wasn't, it wasn't a decision for me to make. It was a decision for my mum to make. She only told the rest of her siblings, you know, when it was sort of near the end. And again, her choice, right? It's not for me to take that decision away from her. So I don't remember the exact moments of when people, you know, friends and families and, and, and family and all of that were told. But yeah, she made she made her own decisions. I, it was important that we we let her make her own decisions. Of course, we argued about them, we disagreed about them, and we discussed them. But ultimately, the final say would always be hers because it was it was her diagnosis, it was her cancer, it was it was her going through it, not me. I was a you know I was a bystander, a helpless bystander that could do absolutely nothing to to help her to to save her, other than you know, be there for her. That was all I could do. And when your extended family, your, you know, quote unquote siblings came round, what was the interaction like versus how it was prior? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, everyone had their own, I think they were, they were strong for us. God knows what they were talking about amongst themselves or what they were like in their own homes, but they were, they were strong for us. I mean, my, initially when my mum was going through all the chemotherapy, my dad's sister's one lives in Tanzania, so she, you know, she would she, when she could when she could come over, she would spend some time with us. The other three sisters would sort of, you know, rotate on a weekly basis. You know, two of them were retired. Well, one was definitely retired, I think, 
the other one I think was nearing retirement. So they would sort of come over, rotate, help with some cooking. They were looking after us as much as they were looking after my mum, by the way, because they were cooking, they were cleaning, they were doing all the kind of motherly things for us and just just being really supportive. My my aunt that lives very near us, so my dad's brother, you know, we're very close to my dad's brother and his family. You know, his wife and and and, and my mum were you know best mates basically. So she was always around. We lived right near each other at the time. She was always around. She was always you know looking after us and and just trying to keep things as normal as possible whilst my mum was battling through it. You know, her own sister obviously was was coming and going as much as she possibly could to give her that to give her that support. So there was a lot of extended family support for sure. And I think looking back without that support, we I don't know what we would have done. I really don't know what we would have done, how we would have coped without that sort of support from them, but also that outlet. It also meant and it's horrible to say this, but it also meant that I was able to to go out and carry on living you know, as as normal a life as possible. I was able to go with friends. I was able to go away and, you know, do this and do that because I knew that my mum was being taken care of. So it was respite for me. It was respite for my dad. I don't know if that sounds really horrible, but that's, that's you know, that was part of our own grief journey, I guess. It's not horrible at all. Everyone, and I, <laughs> I already care. I had a group session today where I was talking about caring and how important it is to have that respite and the group session for the, the individuals that were there. This was their respite and it felt so empowering for them to have other people who were going through something similar to what they're going through with the care responsibilities. And it's like the, these people were strangers, but then through us doing presentation, me and one other, they just felt that empowerment in, in knowing that it's not unreasonable to ex- to need your own time to process what you need to process because there's certain things you can't say to the people that are near and dear to you because it you, you it's going to sound selfish, it's going to sound horrible, but it's not that. It's That's just how you feel and that's just you being or, like authentic with it. But you need to be able to say it to the right audience in order for them to go, I get you. You know, from your point of view, all that you're going through, I hear you. You need that space. You need that time to process it and do what you need to do to get from point A to point B. Same way they need to do these things. Because like you said about your mum, she didn't tell her mum because she needed to do what she felt was appropriate. So I, I, I'm fully there with you. And I, yeah, I'm there with you. But I really am keen to understand a little bit about what, where your head was out, what did you react in a negative way at any point during this time? Great question. Um, I think in my head there was lots of negativity, and I and I and I sort of perhaps you know at times I am quite a negative person. You know, I always think the worst, and I always you know latch onto those feelings rather than looking at the positives and the optimism. And, you know, I was angry. I was angry. Why was this happening? The classic. You know, why is it happening to me? Why is it happening to my? Mum, you know, what have we done wrong? I mean, she was 54 when she was diagnosed. She was 56 when she died. You know, why Why does she have to, why does her life have to end at that stage when actually she was entering that chapter in her life when she should have been enjoying her time now with her grandchildren and, and you know, retired from work and just living her best possible, best possible life. So, of course, there was lots of anger. You know, there were lots of, I mean, I'm not a particularly religious person, but there were lots of conversations with, you know, somebody, God, whatever you want to, whatever you want to, you know, there were lots of conversations about, you know, why, why, what was happening, it was, was happening and whether anything could be done to save her, whether any miracle could arrive, whatever. I think when you're, when you're staring something like that in the face, you, you latch onto anything, you look for anything, you look at, you hope for anything because you just want the outcome to be positive. But at the same time, I, I, I maintained that pragmatic, practical 
kind of approach because in my head, like I said at the very beginning, I had decided that it was over and I had to just prepare for that. No matter how long it took, I had to just prepare for that. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't like it when people would talk about, you know, don't worry, you'll be fine. Trust in God's judgment. And, you know, we'll do this, we'll do this ritual and we'll do that ritual. And somebody told us to do this and somebody told us to do that and everything will be fine. You know, quite frankly, if I'm allowed to say it was, you know, a load of bollocks because none of that ultimately matters. This is science for goodness sake. It's, it's, it's medical stuff. You know, there is no cure for this. They tried, you know, they tried. But ultimately, it, it didn't work. So I think my head was, it was all over the place, you know, because it was a two-year journey. It wasn't something that happened. You know, I don't know what's easier, whether 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 a loved one is taken overnight or whether they're taken over this two. I, I really don't know what's easier because there's, there's, there's pros and cons to both, sadly. And yeah, there was anger. Of course, there was anger. There was frustration. There was, there was guilt. Lots of guilt about how I'd taken her for granted. Which son doesn't take their mum for granted, for goodness sake? You know, I spent my life taking her for granted. I spent my life not listening to her. I spent my life taking advantage of her. I spent my life enjoying being sport by her and, you know, staying out late when she said I should, you know, I should be coming home because she's worried about me or, or, or partying with my friends or whatever it was. Of course I did all of that, you know, and then there was lots of, you know, racking, you know, racking my brain as to, you know, sh should I have behaved differently? Should I have acted differently? But that's who I am. That's the relationship I had with her. And, you know, that's not to say there was no love there. Goodness me, you know, I loved her with every fiber, everything I had. And I know she, she did the same, you know, as a parent now, goodness me, you know, we both know what it's like to love your children. I don't think there's any, there's any love could be felt until you have, until you have children, you know? So it was, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a, forgive the cliche, but a, you know, a real emotional roller coaster. you know, real days of happiness because, you know, when the chemo was going well and, you know, the, the tumors were shrinking and the surgery went relatively well and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then there were the really hard days when actually, yeah, not quite going to plan. We need to try a different type of uh, course of chemotherapy. We need to try this. And then, you know, watching her have that chemotherapy. I mean, I didn't go to every single one of her sessions because obviously I was working. My dad pretty much gave up work or, or, or gave up the sort of level of work that he was at so he could, you know, spend more time taking her to her appointments. But, you know, watching her sit there with you know, needles inside of her for hours, you know, watching her sort of drain and really staying positive. She became friendly with the nurses at St. Bart's, at St. Bart's Hospital. I mean, they were amazing. She, you know, and, and she became friendly with other cancer patients, you know, people sitting in that room who were having chemo of all ages, of all colors, of all walks of life. You know, this terrible disease doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care whose body it is. It is, it is destroying you know, we saw people in there as young as I was, maybe even younger than me. And then we saw people really elderly still fighting to live. And so she, you know, she, she found comfort, I think, in the fact that she wasn't alone in this journey. And she found comfort in the fact that other people, whatever their type of cancers may have been, she found comfort in that. And she'd see people regularly. And she, you know, she, she, she would talk to some of these people and she would message some of these people and she would hide those messages from us. You know, she wouldn't share those messages with us because she, she made it very clear that none of us knew what she was going through, and that's absolutely the case. And there were some tough times. There were some harsh, you know, words that I had to listen to from in, in her moments of struggle and moments of weakness and moments of anger. And you know, we, what could you do? You know, what could you do? We, we honestly, we had no idea what she was going through in her head. We had no idea with the reality that she was facing and and, and how she was coming to terms with her her, you know, impending mortality. I mean, I don't, I don't know how a person can ever come to terms with something like that. But, you know, she, she kept going. She just kept going.
And I think if you look at it, a lot of people, and I don't know if this is the right way of wording it, but I think a lot of people have health, mental health conditions for a lot less. And the fact that, you know, you kind of feel like you might have anxiety thinking about what may happen. You might have depression thinking about what's no longer happening. But when you know, you can see, you can see the end. If that doesn't send you, then you kind of feel like I'm there. And it's it's such a weird thing to hear about how all these people are in there because I say, like, wow, this is kind of like what I want for the podcast to just really showcase it, life comes at you. It doesn't, it doesn't respect who you are. It comes at you. But there is hope. There is hope. Wherever you find hope, whether it be in a deity, whether it be in astrology, whether it be in superstitions or whatever it is, that's your thing. Just cling on to it and hold on to it. Because I think we all need that because we do go through those highs and we go through those lows. And those lows can feel horrible. The highs can feel super great. But I guess we got to learn to ride them out and it's the hope that will get us through the dark times, in my opinion. But hearing what you're saying, hearing that clearly you feel, you do feel those raw emotions. And that's something I try to be very mindful of is that when I ask my guests to talk about whatever they feel comfortable talking about, I'm asking you to effectively peel back a scab. And I'm not always going to be there to be able to help you heal that scab again or to get it on there. So, I appreciate everything that you're sharing. And um, obviously I always try and be sensitive about it. I, I, I'm just really intrigued because I just think that there's so many people in general who don't talk about stuff like this because it is hurtful, it's hard. I think people may look at a group of people and think they're all right because they follow this ritual. I am... I. <laughs> I don't live, you know, you you know where I live. I'm not far. And I've been to a very Asian populated area. And as far as I'm concerned, they're all aunties and uncles to me because <laughs> I don't like that with them. And my gosh, when they tried telling me how to have a boy, <laughs> them auntie and uncle look at me differently now. Like, nah, 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 nah. I can't, don't tell me that. I don't, I can't look at you the same now. But in your culture, in your community, did they treat you any differently or was it as loving and supportive as I would like it to be in my head? Well, I mean, in terms of the community, the only real people that I can, that I can reflect on are our family and friends. And that was our community. You know, most of, obviously our family is part of the same community. Most of our friends were part of the same community as well. From, from, from my point of view, they were all, they were all wonderfully supportive, you know, as supportive as they can be whilst also needing to live their own, their own lives. So yeah, I think we had tremendous support from, from those, those that, that we loved and those that loved us and, and those that loved my mum. I mean, what, what it really showed is, is just how loved she was by so many people in the family and so many people in her sort of friend circle, because, you know, the house was never empty. People were coming and going, people wanting to see her, people bringing food, people, you know, asking about her well-being, asking about our well-being. You know, it was, it was a real coming together of, you know, of, of, of our family. And in some respects, you know, it, it, it brought some members of my family and, 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 and me, it brought us, it brought us closer together. And it's horrible that, you know, we, we felt that we were closest when we were going through this process, but that's, that's what it does because it is that raw, you know, if I'm sitting there in the living room and I suddenly start to cry, you know, there's that raw emotion that you, 
you try to shield, don't you, as human beings, we try to shield sometimes how we truly feel because we're worried about that vulnerability and how that vulnerability is going to be perceived by people who think we are potentially strong or think we're you know, defined in this particular way. So, I, you know, I, I didn't try to hide my vulnerability from everybody. You know, maybe I didn't talk about it all the time. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't easy to talk to. If people ever tried to ask me how I was feeling, I might have just brushed it off with a, I'm fine. But at the same time, if I, if I wanted to cry, then I would. You know, it, it wouldn't matter to me who was sitting there because I didn't, I didn't want to force myself to feel in a certain way or to pretend that I had to hide how I was feeling. You know, I was living and breathing this on a daily basis, and only people that have been through that process, you know, will, will be able to understand what I'm, where I'm coming from. So it was, yeah, it was a combination of trying to be strong, I'm using inverted commas there, and trying to, you know, portray this view that I was fine, but at the same time, you know, not letting, not trying to hide my vulnerability. And people did just tell me, you know, you're really strong and you're really, you're dealing with this really well. And I, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to deal with something really well? You know, what does it mean to deal with losing your a loved one really well? You know, is it because I'm still able to talk? I'm still able to function? I'm still, still able to go down the pub or go, go to a restaurant or meet up with friends and, or, or have a laugh or whatever it is? You know, fine. Maybe that means I did deal with it well. But obviously, you know, when I'm tucking up into bed on my own and I'm crying into my pillow, because that's the only safe place that I've got. You know, I don't even want to cry in front of my mum. And there were times when I cried in front of her. And, you know, she would she would tell me off. She would always say to me, I thought you were strong. You know, even she would say to me, I thought you were strong. You know, you're not supposed to feel like this. But I couldn't explain to her, you know, because I felt selfish. Because she's she's sitting there dealing with this. She's sitting there with her thoughts about the fact that she is going to die. And I didn't want to come across as being selfish because you know, I was still going to survive. I was, I was going to get through this. She wasn't. And I did my best to shield her from that. I don't know how well I did it. I don't know how well, you know, some of us around her did it, but yeah, there's no preparation for this. I think there's no, there's no textbook on how to grieve, how to show your feelings. It's just, it really is as and when something hits you, you just, you just act in the way your personality, your emotions, your body, your, your mind, you just act in the way it, it dictates to you. There's no, there's no, there's no textbook for it. That's, that's the bottom line ultimately. So going back to that time where you said about crying in front of mum, and she's like, I thought you were strong. If you could go back to that time and relive that moment, what would you think you say to mum at that point? Oh my God. How do you think you'd act? I mean, there are so many, so many moments that I wish I could go back to. And I know that almost everybody I've spoken to that is bereaved says the same thing. In the moment, you feel like you're saying everything you need to say and you're doing everything you need to do. But when you look back, you always think, my God, I wish I had, I wish I had sat by her more. I wish I had held her hand more. I wish I had spoken to her more. I wish I had told her how I was feeling more. You know, I, I never really shared my feelings with my parents. I just didn't have that kind of, and I was very close. That's not, don't get me wrong, but I never shared my feelings, my inner thoughts with them. I was quite a, you know, quite a direct kind of, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm fine kind of person. And I, and I know I'm sure my mum was aching for me to just tell her a bit more about what's really going on in my heart and my head. And I wish, you know, I told her more. I think that moment again is a vivid one. You know, I was holding her hand. This is towards the end now. This is when she's, it was sort of, you know, the summer of 2017 when things started to deteriorate. She'd had a long stay in St. Bart's. You could see, you know, the body was beginning to, you know, her ability to walk was beginning to you know, it, it was disappearing. Her, her her ability to communicate was getting less and less. To try and speak was was a real effort for her. 
it was it was the beginning of the end ultimately that year and a half before where she was fighting you know they were real high moments and real good moments but that period was you know was probably when i think when when this conversation happened and it was i didn't know what to say to her i just cried i just sat there and cried and i just you know like a baby i just i just cried like a baby i couldn't control how i was because you know i wasn't i wasn't strong you know i wasn't strong i may have put this persona that i was strong but i wasn't i was i was crumbling i was falling apart inside because i just i couldn't face this And I did feel that I didn't really have anybody to talk to. You know, I wasn't married. Yes, I mean, thank God my mum, you know, saw me get engaged. She played a real big role in that while she was ill. She met my my future wife. She she had lots to do with the preparation for the wedding and, and the plans for the wedding. You know, she was determined to make it. And we actually, you know, I got married in, in August of 2018. And, and, and my wife, bear in mind, sorry, my wife is from Tanzania. So her parents live in Tanzania, so it's difficult for them to come and go. And, and, you know, we had lots of issues around where the wedding should be. And, you know, they naturally wanted the wedding to be in Tanzania. You know, we weren't prepared for that to happen because my mum had done so much in preparing the wedding here. And actually, we had, we had we'd brought the wedding forward because we, we wanted my mum to see it. And we had, we had consulted with lots of people. And, you know, we, we had decided that we were going to book a, a little civil wedding at you know the local town hall just so my mum could see me get married i think that was a real big desire of hers and we booked it for the 6th of january so we were going to get married on the 6th of january 2018 and um in the sort of couple of weeks before when she was completely you know there was there was just nothing there you know i think we started talking about the fact that even if we did get married on the 6th of january would there be you know would she even know what was happening and the chances of that were no in the end she died on the 5th so she she you know she wouldn't have she wouldn't have seen that wedding anyway and so i think we i think we cancelled it before anyway but all these things we tried to do to accommodate you know I, I you know and my wife bless her she was willing to make all these accommodations to 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 to, to you know and she didn't know my mum very well right it wasn't it wasn't yes of course you know she she has a mum she knows what what it's like to love a mother but she didn't know my mum that well They'd met a few times, they got to know each other a bit, but there, there wasn't enough time for them to build a loving relationship. And so for her to make those accommodations, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for. But, you know, as they say, you know, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. And those last few months were really challenging, really challenging. We had a lot of support from my aunt here, as I mentioned, my dad's brother's wife. She, you know, and bearing in mind, she had four young kids of her own, her own family. She gave that up to to support us, to support my mum and my mum's sister. You know, my mum's sister. She came, she came and lived with us for four months. She gave up everything in her own home. Her son had just recently got married himself. She had a new daughter-in-law in the house, and she gave all that up to come and live with us. And she just basically managed everything. She managed all of my mum's schedule. She managed all the medication. She managed all the appointments because my dad was a mess. You know, he wasn't strong enough to be able to deal with any of this at that stage when it had come to that kind of terminal stage and i i just sort of yeah if i had to i guess i would have done but you know having having my mum's sister there was you know was was a real game changer for us because it she just she just took that away from us but at the same time you know the 
what that must have done to her because you know it's her it's her baby sister that she was also watching die you know in front of her until this day you know she's really struggling to, to come to terms with it and talk about it and deal with it so it was a really a really challenging kind of difficult time in, in all of our lives this is clearly having a visible impact on you and it, it is on me as well and i don't have to look at you to to feel feel how it's making you feel <sighs> You can even tell my vocabulary is shot right now. I'm going to give you a bit of a breather for a minute because I just want to say shout out to your wife for the love and support that she had to accommodate because she loved you so much that she loved your your family, you know, and that's testament to your parents, how well they raised you, that all the good qualities that they had was in you and that's what helped your wife fall in love with you. And I love the fact that I know a lot of the different Asian communities do pull together, do look after one another. And to hear that was the case for you. Oh, you're so strong. I'm strong because you're allowing me to be strong. If you was not here looking after mum, I wouldn't be allowed to get that respite to be able to just bar when I need to bar or just go to the pub and just have a chinwag about randomness that's got nothing to do with the reality that I'm trying to escape for a couple of hours. And I, I, I miss that for our communities, our, our children effectively, because I remember growing up, there was youth centres. There's no youth centres anymore because suppose you've got no money for it. And it's hurtful because like, well, where's the kids meant to go? Because I'm not having them in my house. I'm not, I'm sorry, my house is not that big. But I'm happy for them to have a space to go out and meet other people and have fun and have other people mentor them. It didn't just have to be me. And that would help forge a community. That would help forge friendships that become family, that becomes a support mechanism when you need them in these times. I love how, a you know, you're saying that your dad's sister or dad's sister... Who's the lady that came around your house? What, to stay with us? Yes. My mum's sister. Mom, your mum's sister. So your mum's sister done that. But technically, your mum was doing this for other people. So it kind of, as you said before, come full circle. It's just paying it forward. And I love that. It's just you give to give, to give, to give, to give. And that is beautiful. Your mum sounds like an amazing woman. She's clearly still here because you talk so passionately about her. I feel like I've seen her from how descriptive you've been of her. I feel like I've seen her. I feel like I'm seeing her. I can hear all her qualities. And the same way how you felt you didn't maybe appreciate as much. I'm, I'm sure you feel the same parent guilt I felt sometimes where you just feel like, oh, I should have handled it that way. Oh, I should have said that. Why am I in a bad mood? Why am I letting this toddler get on top of me? You know all these things and she probably had that forever in a day so we've all got our little things that we wrestle with but i i respect and i'm so grateful for how honest you are how transparent you are and i think it takes a lot for a person to sit in their feelings and to be able to articulate what they do regardless of how it sounds because sometimes people don't say what they honestly feel because they're fearful of what it comes across as. And I honestly love the idea that 
I'm able to help people to just share that story. And there's going to be other people that are going to probably think, do you know what? Didn't think anyone else understood how I felt because you said something before where your mum said, no one else knows how I feel because she's in that position. Those people that were in the center, in the hospital with her going through similar treatment had a better understanding than you guys did. You going through this situation, you mentioned something similar about, you know, how you're going through it. Other people that have had to go through something similar will probably be your group of people that will understand you. We're all at different stages. And this is where I like to try and connect people to understand they're not alone. What they're going through, what they're experiencing. Yes, we're all unique, but that situation we go through are not too dissimilar from one another. And it's okay to feel what your fear is. Okay to feel vulnerable. As you said, it's not a negative word. But I think it's important that we allow ourselves to feel what we feel, own it and explore what we may have gained for such an experience. Because I'm at, a, I'm at a point where I believe that the reason why people say hindsight is twenty twenty is because when you're sitting in the moment, you're fueled by adrenaline, you're fueled by your ambitions. It's all about me. It's how I feel. It's what I want. When you look back in hindsight, you look at the overall dynamics. Who was there when I had that conversation? What was the overall plan? Was I a team player or was I being a maverick? Was Is it because I did, went left instead of right when everyone else was going right? Did I cut someone up? Did I do whatever? Because you're looking at it as a whole picture. And then going forward, hopefully, if you have the mindfulness, you'll be able to navigate spaces a lot more successfully. And successful is subjective, depending on what you're looking for. I will ask you, if you could tell me when you think the lowest point was for you at that point as an individual, and what would you say to yourself if you could go back in the time? So imagine this, your life stays the same as it is right now today with the beautiful family you have. If you could go back in the time to that lowest point, whichever you're going to tell me it is, what would you say to yourself to help yourself push through and not give up? Gosh, that's putting me on the spot. I mean, there were lots of low moments, as I'm sure you can imagine, during during the time, certainly towards the end. I think one that really stands out is finding out it was terminal. I think, like I mentioned before, you know, my pragmatic approach to this was I, I I always knew and, you know, you know, we're not fools. You can watch somebody, you know, die in front of your eyes. And that was what I was seeing. But we went to St. Bart's, you know, whenever it might have been, November of 2017. And we went to find out whether they could try some other type of chemotherapy on her. I mean, the fact that I had to, you know, pick my mum up and put her into the car get to the hospital at St. Bart's, take her out and put her into a wheelchair. It was it was myself, my dad, and my mum's sister. You know, we went together to the hospital to see her consultants, all of whom were, you know, really wonderful. And again, in the car, I'm preparing myself. I know what, you know, she didn't say anything. She's probably preparing herself for it as well. Wheeled her in. And of course, you know, the very first thing the consultant said was, just by looking at you, you're you're too weak to have any more chemotherapy. You know, there's just nothing we can do and you know it was it was horrible to hear that and you know my mum's reaction I still remember she had these black gloves on and it was just a kind of hand in the air as though okay you know whatever acceptance 
yeah, acceptance, whatever, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, her communication by then was beginning to fade anyway. So her ability to talk was beginning to fade anyway. And, you know, it was just, you know, my dad was crying hysterically. I was crying hysterically. My mum's sister, you know, trying to be as, you know, strong as ever, still asking all the right questions whilst we're just, you know, and I, you know, I'm thinking, here we are behaving like this. What about the person that's just heard that news about themselves? You know, she didn't shed a tear. It was, she, it was an acceptance from her that this, this is my fate. And, you know, for us to think that God, it's, it's, it's over. It really is over. Now it's a question of months or weeks or whatever it might be, but it, it really is over. And I was, I was booked to go to Australia that, um, that December, a few friends of mine had booked for us to go and watch the ashes at the MCG. And, you know, I mean, I'd made the decision before I committed to anything that ultimately, you know, I wasn't able to go because it was just, she was weakening too much. I needed to be at home. But, you know, all these, all these little things that just sort of come back into my mind now. And, and that Christmas, as I'm sure you can imagine, was, a, was an awful Christmas. It was a depressing Christmas. And that was probably, yeah, that's probably along that whole journey, the lowest that I've, that I've ever felt. What I would tell myself now, I, I really don't know. I really, really don't know. I probably have to think about that, you know, because I, all I'm going to come up with now are the whole load of cliches. You know, be strong, think about your mom, yeah, think about the good things, think about the good times, all of those things that I now know six years later. But my God, if 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 you just don't know until you you get hit with something like that, how to respond to it. And you know, I just I wasn't prepared as a 29-year-old. I wasn't prepared for her to die. I wasn't prepared to accept that at 56 she was going to die. You know, I just I just didn't want that to happen. And and you know, you talk about you mentioned earlier about me talking about her and you know being open and transparent. I, I I made it my mission to never stop talking about her because what often happens is our parents just become forgotten memories, and and ultimately they're our parents. So if I don't talk about her, who is going to talk about her? Because everybody else, as much as they loved her, they've all got their own lives, and I don't blame anybody for that. They've all got their own lives. They're getting on with things, but if I don't keep her legacy alive, who's going to? So I talk about her now all the time in my work. I post about her all the time on my on my socials. And, and my relationship with her and you know that the year that she died her birthday was her birthday is march march 11th and march 11th 2018 happened to be mother's day so not only was it my first my first birthday of hers without her it was also my first mother's day without her and me and a few of my cousins we 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 jumped out of a plane at twelve thousand feet and we raised ten thousand pound for a charity called target ovarian cancer which is a charity now that's obviously become close to my heart and, and that i do some work for just recently this year, you know, uh, you know, to mark her five-year passing, I, I organised a small charity dinner and raised five thousand pound there. And it's just about, you know, raising money to, to save other people. But most importantly, it's about constantly talking about her so that she's not forgotten. I put out a post a couple of weeks ago on my socials about the fact that you know I am beginning to forget. You know, I'm, I'm forgetting what she sounded like, what her accent was like. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to forget the way she spoke. I've also forgotten how she looked in real life. You know, I look at photos all the time, but I, I, I've forgotten if you told me to describe her standing in front of me. And, and I'm really scared about that. I'm really scared about forgetting. And I talk to people who lost parents, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they're all on the same journey. But there's that horrible fear that I've got inside of me of forgetting.
There's not a day that goes by when I don't think about her, by the way. Every single day I think about her. Sometimes it's just for short, snappy moments. Sometimes it's for longer periods of time. I mean, I've got a song that I listen to. If I'm really feeling down, it's, it's a song by Ed Sheeran called Supermarket Flowers. And it's just a song that I think he wrote about his, his grandmother. But the, the lyrics are really poignant and the kind of the, the way the song is. It just reminds me of her and I have a big cry for the three minutes that the song lasts. And then I'll sort of, you know, dry my eyes and then sort of just try to crack on. But that's, that's my way of constantly trying to remember. I, I don't want to forget. I'm scared of forgetting. I know it's inevitable and I know it's how life works. Life sucks sometimes, right? These are the cards that I've been dealt and, you know, it's up to me to play the hand that I, that I want to play. But the hand that I want to play is to keep her memory and her legacy alive through all the work that I do and through all the storytelling that I do. Because like you mentioned, if some of the words that I'm saying today resonate with other people who maybe don't feel confident enough or don't have their voice yet, then that's my mission. That really is my mission. I love that. And so you understand where I'm coming from or for why I feel I have some form of empathy. I lost five family members over the space of 16 months when I was in year 10 and 11. For those of you over in the States or in other countries, that is equivalent of me being between 15 and 16. Five family members, all on separate occurrences. It wasn't great. I had more suits to go to funerals than I did anything else. It was horrible. And I would like to say, as much as you may feel that you're going to forget, you are going to remember her in other ways. I lost an uncle recently. I think it might have been around 2018. I cannot remember, to be honest with you. But my daughter, her middle name is Alexandra because his name was Alex. He was like a dad to me. I love him. Even now I'm welling up about it. But there's certain faces she pulls and it reminds me of him. There's certain mannerisms, there's certain things I do that mimic his behavior because I think it's my way of being closer to him and other family members. You know, one of my cousins, unfortunately, took his own life at the age of 21, left two kids behind because he felt that that was the option available to him. Every year I make, a ma- I make it my mission and that was my uncle's son. So I think that's what hurt him even more when we grew close. So I make sure I make a point celebrating my birthday every year. I'm not in that position where I feel like taking my life is an option. I'm here for people that feel that way and I will support you, I'll listen to you. But for me personally, I don't want that to be an option. I don't want that to be an option for anyone I care about. And I care about a lot of people, even people I've just met or just known for a little bit of time like yourself. I want to just... I don't normally do this, but I feel it's appropriate just to help reassure you that your mannerisms are probably changed because you're trying to get closer to mum. Dad is doing certain things because mum liked to do it. Normally, he'll do his own way, but because mum's not there to honour her, to pay homage, you do it that way. And those are the little things that you do differently than you did when she was there because I feel that we watch them more than we do listen to them. There's times when my parents will talk to me and I'd be like, yeah, 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 uh uh-huh, yeah. I'm not listening to them. I just know the the power of conversation. But because my mum, for instance, raised me as a single parent, she didn't sort of have many sick days. She'd always be going to work. So now, do I have six days? No, I'm always going because that's what I've seen. I'm mimicking that. And that's what I feel a lot of us do. I love the fact that you are so 
in touch. You're so emotionally eloquent. You said you felt it was cliche. You'd come out with probably some cliche things to say to your younger self, but I don't. I don't feel that as an issue. It can say sound cliche. It can sound like rambling. But as long as you try to say something, as long as you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, cry. It can't be a bad thing. You're allowing yourself to just express itself as it needs to. I think it's important that we're understood by being eloquent in what we say and how we present ourselves. But I think it's even more important not to be misunderstood when we're not allowed the opportunity to speak or to provide context. This is your time to provide context to the situation because I'd like to think in years to come, your children would want to listen to this or want to know how dad felt because you might still potentially be a little bit closed off in some instances when talking about stuff. But if you're, kids can listen to this and go wow grandma was amazing well my 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 three-year-old now i mean she carries my mum's name as her middle name so my mum's name was nimble so my daughter carries that as her middle name and she's she's old enough now and she has asked me on a couple of occasions where my mummy is and you know it's she's only three so i don't go into too much detail but i just explained to her that i haven't got a mummy and i I don't think that she doesn't understand that because her mum has a mummy everybody around her has a mummy but why doesn't her dad have a mummy and you know yeah the older she gets that conversation is going to be i'm sure very difficult but i you know i'm looking forward to sharing some of those great stories i mean my mum had a very challenging life you know she saw lots of hardship and she saw lots of difficulties in her life as you know as many kind of in those days you know getting married in the mid 80s indian sort of daughter-in-laws would experience it was quite a challenging life you know i think my dad would acknowledge that you know it wasn't the easiest he wasn't the easiest man to be married to, certainly in those early years. And so she she experienced a lot of challenges. And, you know, she, she and I think she wanted to now feel, you know, free from that and, and really live her life. And whether it was living it through me or through my children or whatever, now was now was her time to really, really be, be happy. And, you know, I, I don't want to look back, and sometimes I can't help it, but I don't want to look back on, on her life thinking that she was unhappy. And, you know, didn't value her own life, you know, and, and that that hurts me just as much as anything that, you know, I'm part of that. I'm part of the fact that, you know, many, many parts of her life were, were unhappy and, and were difficult. And maybe if I'd been a bit different, a bit, bit more open, a bit more, you know, shown her a bit more love instead of being cold and kind of, you know, not wanting to talk about things and not wanting to talk about how I was feeling or, or what I was doing and, you know, maybe she just ached for that kind of that element of closeness. Although we were incredibly close, you know, just that I just didn't share much with her. And, you know, I I I hate the fact that, you know, if there were times when she was unhappy that I might have been the cause of that unhappiness. But that's something I'll have to, you know, that's something I have to carry. But I'm I'm comforted by the fact that, you know, I was her only son. I know how much she loved me. I know how much she wanted me to be happy. And I am. You know, the truth is now in, in, in life, I am I am happy. I'm happily married. I've got two beautiful children. And, you know, I'm at a stage of my life now where I'm building this business of mine, sharing everything that I've been through with audiences, with anybody that will listen, really, with audiences to create that empathy and vulnerability and, and really sh- really making sure that her life wasn't, wasn't a life that wasn't worth living, that actually it was a life that was lived. And, you know, if I, if I, can, if I can share her life through my words, 
then and, and make a difference and make a difference to somebody. I, I could speak to a room of 100 and only impact one person, but goodness me, that's one person being impacted that needed to hear those words that perhaps now might be able to take some action to to deal with whatever it is that they're going through. So yeah, so the, the, that part of my life, that lost part of my life is, 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 is very important to my overall kind of, you know, storytelling. Hearing that, I can't help but think mum must be immensely, and was immensely proud that she was able to give her husband a child, regardless of gender, to be able to love on you. Yes, you've been a pain because all kids are pains, Let's be honest, would we have it any other way? It kind of feels like that's the that's the payment <laughs> to get into <laughs> parenthood. You have to go through sleepless nights, argue with your ch- toddler. Why? Because it's a thing. That's just part of being a parent. I'm sure she wouldn't trade it for anything else if it meant her going through that meant she had you. Her not going through that and having a, in quotation mark, easier life because she's not having a child, she would have missed out all the highs with you the fond memory she had with dad and yourself. She's here for it. And unfortunately to say this, if what happened to mum didn't happen to mum, would your business have been born? Would she have been as much of a focal point of your business as she is? And these are the things that I'm hearing that sounds incredible. Like mum is at the forefront. Mum is pretty much your strap line. She is kind of, she's there. She's your foundation. She's every, she's what you're building everything on. You know, shout out to dad for holding it down and still going on. It's hard, but I, I love, I just, I can't stress <laughs> how much I just love this. I, the outpouring of love and affection you have for this woman. She's just amazing. And I just love it. And I know there's been tears. I, I I feel them and I'm trying my best to contain mine, but I just love hearing it authentically. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just there. So you, you're saying you can't think of anything you'd say to your younger self to keep yourself going. Calm, not an issue. If you would say initially that was a loss. Losing my mom was a massive L that I've copped. Looking back in hindsight, would you, would you still call that a loss? Or would you say it's something else? It's definitely a loss because there is a there is there is a, a gap in my soul that you know cannot be filled because you know a mother's love can't be replaced. I think by anybody, so there is that gap there. But I'd like to think, and thank you, you know, your words, you know, are, are really nice to hear. But I think it's it's about turning that loss into something positive and keeping that legacy alive. I mean, maybe we can replace the word loss with legacy and the L can be legacy because it's it's about making sure that her name lives on forever. And, you know, I, I refuse to allow her to be a small sentence in in this whole big picture that we're living in, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, yeah, you're right. She is the focal point or a focal point. Her and my daughter are the two focal points of my, of, 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 of the business and of, and of the work that I do. So yeah, you know, it's about, it's about honoring the legacy of, of somebody that was just amazing. I think that's beautiful. And (laughs) question for you, before your daughter could talk and give you all the sass that she probably gives you now, and she couldn't talk, how did you know when she wasn't feeling okay? So if she had a cold, if she 
was in discomfort. How did you know she wasn't feeling that she wasn't right? Gut instinct, I guess, just that parental kind of uh, parental instinct. You know, maybe she would maybe she would display an illness or or, or, or or you know vomit or whatever. But I think it's just something inside you that just you know tells you that they're not they're not feeling themselves. So I would like to think that if you could sense that your daughter, before she could speak, she wasn't okay in certain instances, your parents know when you're not okay because before you could speak, they had to learn, they had to know. So when you grow up and you don't talk to them, there's still certain things that you do where they catch on to it and go, he's not in a good place. He needs a space or he needs to have a conversation. So I think the times where I heard you talk about it, I just feel that I'm sure she knew. <laughs> she knew because you know. Yeah. And it's, just, it's just, oh, why am I gushing so much over you, guy? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's, it, I just think it's, I, I just honestly, I think it's because of maybe my mother's boy, who knows, but I just love, I love how much you love your mum. I love that you still have a relationship with your dad. I love that you guys are still going hammer and tongue in this thing called life. And that's something that I would like for you to hold on to, look back and be incredibly proud of how far you've come from, because to lose such an incredible figure in your life, to be where you are some years later, still holding it down, still thriving, oh, amazing. That is amazing. And you said you're holding your heart, right? A mother's love is to hold in your heart. That hole, I entertain this for a minute. You would never know how much you loved your mum potentially until until you lost her. So you experienced her love, and now you're getting to appreciate that love. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Actually, I think you take for granted, don't you, when somebody is here, especially parents. I mean, they're the people you take for granted the most. And yeah, I think it's probably now an appreciation of everything she did for me, no matter how difficult her life may have been, no matter what challenges she was facing, certainly through my childhood. I was never exposed to those challenges. I was never exposed to her difficulties. She shielded me from the pain that she was experiencing. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I appreciate, I am who I am because of her. You know, I really, I really believe that warts and all good qualities, bad qualities, you know, we all have, we all have good and bad, but you know, whoever I am, whatever I achieve, whatever I do, it's, it's because of her. I genuinely believe that. Yeah. And again, shout out to everyone that was there to support you, to help you, to hold it down. Yeah. Just everybody, you know, if you're listening to this or not, I just want to give you acknowledgement because I mean, it wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be who he is. He wouldn't have achieved what he did without you, regardless of what big or small part you played or anything in between. It's important. And I think that should translate to anyone else listening who may know someone that's going through something, just show up. Whether you say something, don't say something, just obviously be mindful of the situation, be an ear if nothing else. And I think that's that will go a long way. What I'll ask you to do, because I'm conscious of time, I'm going to be cheeky and say, this conversation kind of focused on your mum because I couldn't let this go. This felt like it had to go on a little bit. Would you be okay for when you come back to jump on and talk about the latter part of the, what you was going to talk about, your daughter? 
Yeah, sure. There's probably I could probably speak for just as long. I'm good for that. I'm good with that because I'm an inquisitive guy. I like to hear it. And so far, I'm in love with your family. So I'm all right with that. <laughs> what I'll say is, have you got any final thoughts that you would like to share? Ooh. Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, sim in similar vein to what you've just said there, I think everybody's got their own st story. Everybody's on their own journey. And I think if we if we could show up, try to be nice, try to be understanding, demonstrate some empathy, you know, as much as we might think it's a competition, you know, ultimately we're all, we're all struggling in our own way. And I think it's just, it's just being there. It's just being mindful. It's, it's just being understanding because life does suck sometimes and you don't know what the person next to you is going through. So just, just take it easy. I love that. And for the next two minutes, please tell people where they can find you if they would like to engage with you about your organization, about your situation that you've experienced, or just to follow what you've got going on. Yeah, sure. So thank you. I, I do post a lot. I mean, I post regularly about the story and all those kinds of things. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram at For Working Parents. I'm on LinkedIn at Amit Singh Kali. I'm on TikTok at Cali Coaching. Are you doing TikTok dances? Not quite dances, but I do do some silly skits around around parenting and, and, and the challenges of parenting. Okay. And our website, www.forworkingparents, all spelt as words, .com, you know, gives lots of information about the services that we provide, both to individual parents, but also to organizations to really make work a happier, better, more understanding, more human, more empathetic, more caring place so that people can thrive as opposed to being made to feel like shit yeah because sometimes when you're going through things and people let's go back to that misunderstand you they just assume you're lazy you're not engaging you're not good enough and it's all like oh, i'm more than good enough when i'm allowed to have the time to process to have that respite to just <sighs> let's go yeah and I, I love the fact that you are just creating this space. I know I've said it before, but just creating this space where it gives people the space to be themselves, allows people to have a voice for them when they can't necessarily articulate themselves in the way they want to. Because we have, when we're caught up in our feelings, sometimes the words we want to say just don't come out in the right way or the right tone. And we don't know, we don't necessarily have the professional speech pattern, whereas you may be well versed in that your storytelling will help people to have that understanding. Because if you're going from a place where you're telling a story about how I went through this, I went through that and painting that picture and say, well, what support do you get for work? Good question. If I said to you, A was my scenario, what would you say to that versus B was my scenario? I'm not, I've never listened to his presentation, so I can't tell you that's what he talks about. But through storytelling, you're able to help employers, you're able to help individuals, you're able to help a whole host of people and I'm here for it. I, I, I'm I, saying it now on the pod, just so everyone can listen to it over again. If there's any support I can do to help you promote your message, I'm here for you. Just, just say it and I'll help you in whatever capacity I can, because I'm really about what you're doing. But I do I want to wrap up and just say, I really do appreciate you jumping on and sharing all that you have done. Love to you, your family, everyone involved in that situation. And I just so appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to jump on and to talk so eloquently about your situation. I, I make no bones about how I honestly want this platform to be 
something that allows people to feel safe, secure, where they can just divulge what they feel comfortable doing. So people can take a peek behind the curtain to say, yo, this person's got it all lined up, how they happen. And so like, mm, the saying is true. You never meet a strong person without a rough pass. And it's, this is testament to it. I've had some incredible guests, each and every one of them that shared stuff. I love each and every one of them. And you're no different. I want everyone to know, and this including my children who, ironically, this was originally started for, to know that life does not discriminate. It will teach you things that daddy can't teach you. It will teach you things that mommy can't teach you or grandma, granddad, whoever it may be. School can't teach you. Life will come at you and it's up to you whether you're going to accept it as an L or accept it as something else. And sometimes we stop at where it's going to be just a loss. But if we continue a little bit further, that loss becomes a lesson. What lesson that could be, I don't know. That's for you to decipher. But please don't give up. Please don't stop. Just know that there's nothing about a caterpillar that takes going to be a butterfly. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to come and find me, I'm at Every L Podcast on Instagram and pretty much every other social media platform, but I'm mainly occupied Instagram for the minute. Reach out to me if you want to come on reach out if you want me to speak to a particular person and we'll take it from there. But what I want for me to take away from this is whatever you personally took away from this because it's all about you and how you feel. Stay well, stay blessed. Catch you in the next one. Every hour, podcast.